now? Okay, good. All right. So operator error is what they call that. <laughs> so we are, uh, we're, we're going to give another message today in the series that we began just a little bit ago uh, called Passion Places. And what we've been doing is examining different locations of the final week of Jesus' life and uh, kind of unpacking what we could learn from those moments. And we've been to the garden. Uh, we've been to the guest room where Jesus had the Last Supper. Last week, we were on the road that led to the cross where a man by the name of Simon unexpectedly was asked to carry the cross uh, for Jesus. Today, I want to take, <laughs> I'm going to take a look at a part of this story that I, in, in 30 plus years, I have never preached on this particular part of the passion story. Ready? So hopefully it's going to be good. If it's not, just pretend. Okay. But uh, I want to share a message that I've simply entitled The Dice Game. The Dice Game. And those are fancy graphics, aren't they? And uh, The Dice Game. There is a moment while Jesus is hanging on the cross that takes place that not only was the fulfillment of prophecy, but it, it's a moment that, I'll be honest with you, it kind of boggles my mind. And yet, it's also kind of a, it's a statement on what some of us deal with on a regular basis in our spiritual lives. Uh, let me show you what I mean here. And I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be challenged by what this scripture has to say here today. So if you're able to, I'd invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word as we take a look at this together. We're in the book of John chapter 19. We're going to start with two verses. I'll have a few extra scriptures for you today. All of them will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you, just watch the screen and we'll take care of you that way. Here we go. Are we ready? Okay, good. Thank you, both of you. That's wonderful. Well, that's exciting. All right. It says, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them while the undergarment, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Let's pray. God, we're going to look at a pretty obscure part of the telling of your son's sacrifice for us. But Lord, I pray that you would, uh, that you would speak to our hearts and help us to examine where we're at with you. And uh, Lord, may we not leave here the same way we came in. So let your word do its work, I ask you, Jesus. And we'll thank you. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this is a different kind of scripture, isn't it? Um, 
And here, <laughs> here's the thing that amazes me. Okay, what, what's taking place on the cross during this story? The Son of God is paying the ultimate price for all of our sins. Let's understand what this part of the Easter story is, okay? This is not Jesus being executed because he was a preacher. This is not Jesus being executed because a certain group of people did not like him. This is the Son of God taking the punishment that each of us deserve for our sin. Let's remind ourselves that the Bible says in the book of Romans that all of us have sinned and we've come short of the glory of God. And the, the Bible also says that the wages are what we earn because of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Son of God was sent in our place because we had a debt of sin, a sin debt that none of us could pay. Not at all. You think our national debt is bad. <laughs> the sin debt just cannot be paid. There is nothing we can do, the scripture says, to pay the sin debt. There's no good works that can outweigh our sin. There is no act on our part that can adequately cover the penalty of our sin and each and every one of us are in danger of that unless we accept the gift of Jesus Christ on that cross. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead, then we will be saved. We commit our lives to Jesus and we say, Lord, I want you to be our, my Savior and I want you to be my Lord. And that's what put Jesus on the cross. So all of this is going on. Dare I say the most important moment up to then in the history of our world. And what's going on just underneath of him? Four soldiers that are totally oblivious to the incredible act of love that's taking place on the cross. Four soldiers that have no clue, no idea. Four soldiers that have no even context as to what's going on while the Son of Man is hanging on the cross. But dare I say that if we are not careful, we could be just as guilty of this as the soldiers and their dice game. For you see, I've grown up in church all of my life. How about you? Some of you, you've grown up in church. Some of you are kind of new to this, and that's fine too. But I, I've grown up in it. I don't know what it was like to not go to church at all. I used to pretend to be, get this, I used to pretend to be the preacher <laughs> for my mom when I was little. I, could, I really couldn't even talk yet. But my, my, our, our preacher would always take a glass of water and his Bible. So I'd find the family, I'd find the family Bible that was bigger than me. And, and I'd have the cup of water and I'd be, my mom was a captive audience. She got saved every single day. It was incredible. I was a pretty powerful preacher there at the age of two. So I don't know, I don't know what it's like to, to not be a church brat, if you will. 
I've grown up in it. And so for me, and maybe some of you, if I'm not careful, I could take the cross of Jesus Christ for granted. I could find myself not playing a dice game, but taking a gamble with how seriously I take the cross of Jesus Christ. The soldiers here, this is an actual picture of the day that, no, it's not. This is, <laughs> really? No. This is kind of a rendering, if you will, of, of soldiers doing what the scripture uh, talks about that we just read. And for Roman soldiers, gambling was actually a regular part of their life. Dice games were a big part of that. They would often gamble over the loot that they confiscated from victories on the battlefield. Uh, sometimes when they would win those valuables, there would be other valuables hidden in the pockets of someone's clothing, and they would keep that as well. Sometimes they would gamble just for the sheer competition of it. But again, throughout the most important event in history, you've got this. And I would dare say that the 21st century culture that we have, whether it's in the church culture or the non-church culture, if we're not careful, there are... There are some things that could draw our eyes and our attention and our focus off of the cross. So what I'd like to do today is for all of us to be challenged by what the Word of God has to say on this topic. And I'd like to, I, I, I'd like to look at three important parts of this story that I'd like to unpack for you here today. And... Uh, Let's see what the Lord has for us, okay? Number one, let's take a look at what I call a familiar action. A familiar action on the part of the soldiers. See, some of us, because obviously we don't know a lot about Roman culture, we may not know just how regular of an occurrence a crucifixion was. But get this, I found this on the internet, so it's got to be true, right? Because they don't allow fake stuff on there. About the t <laughs> That was a joke, by the way, just so you all know. All right. So about the time when Jesus would have been a, a, a teenager, okay, there was a Jewish rebellion that was absolutely crushed by the Romans. And to assure that it didn't happen again, they crucified an Israelite, every 10 meters along a road for a distance of 16 kilometers. At that time, there were over 1,600 people crucified by the Romans for that Jewish rebellion. Roman soldiers probably performed so many crucifixions that it was just second nature for them. It's a nasty business. If you've never studied crucifixion, it was the worst way for someone to die. By far. By far. You do not bleed to death when you're crucified. You actually suffocate on the, your own fluids in your, 
in your lungs. Sometimes people would hang on the cross for hours. Sometimes people would hang on the cross for days. And so to make a statement to the Jewish people, they did this every 10 meters. For Roman soldiers, and apparently dinner's done, uh, for Roman soldiers, I love those bells, for Roman soldiers, crucifixion was something they did all the time. They knew what to expect. They knew how they would die. They knew how the victim of crucifixion would respond to their treatment. They knew the breathing would become more difficult, and then their life would simply go away, and then they clock out, they go home, they eat dinner. Crucifixion was something that was very familiar to a Roman soldier. I want to focus on that word familiar, and I've already touched on it. My fear in the 21st century church culture is that we have become all too familiar with the things of God. Dare I say that there may be those of us who have grown up in church and we have sung the songs. We know, <laughs> we, we could sing about the old rugged cross and it's just stored up here like we're singing karaoke and there's nothing coming from our hearts. We sing and talk about the grace of Jesus Christ and, and yet we, we don't allow it to move us anymore. We take it for granted. Sometimes we have that in life, don't we? We have those things that we, oh, this is so incredible. And then the more familiar you become with it, the less of a special thing it is to you. My son yesterday brought me this cookie. It was a s'more cookie. When I get to heaven, that cookie will be in my mansion. In fact, dozens of them will be in my mansion. It was incredible. I thought, I need one of these every single day is what I need. And of course, my doctor would be thrilled. But, but I know after... 60 days of eating these cookies every single day. I'm, I'm joking, by the way. But the more and more I eat that special food, the less excited I am about it. How many of you know, you, you had that, you kind of go in these phases, right? Ooh, we're going to eat at that restaurant all the time. And then after a while, it's like, meh. Now, on a much broader scale, the things of God. We get excited about it, but then it kind of wanes a little bit. Let me make this statement for you. Familiarity doesn't always bring intimacy. Sometimes it can bring indifference. Read that again closely. Familiarity is, does not always bring intimacy. Sometimes it could bring indifference. 
And when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to looking towards the cross of Jesus Christ, dare I say that we become pretty excited about it when we give our lives to Jesus Christ because some of us know what God has saved us from. But then others of it, others of us, we've been raised in this for so long that the personal part of it begins to wane. And it's nothing more than a story in the spring and a song that we sing on Sunday. Jesus put it this way when he was quoting a letter to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. He said, you've, you've patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. The King James says that you have forsaken your first love. Could it be that we could actually do a lot of churchy things like suffered patiently for the Lord without quitting, like this verse says, and still lose our first love for the things that really matter? According to Jesus, we can. And that's what's so incredible about this dice game is that as the most incredible thing to happen in all of history is taking place, you have a group of men that are rolling dice, gambling for Jesus' clothing. Familiarity, a familiar action. Has church become a familiar action for you? Has Jesus become just a familiar catchphrase for you? I think Jesus wants to speak to the church and says, look again to the cross, if you will. Look to the cross. Don't be so occupied by other things and don't be so familiar with the church scene and your work scene and your personal life and all this other stuff that you fail to look to the one who's hanging on the cross and dying for your sins. There was a familiar action. Secondly, there was what I called a focused distraction. There was a familiar action and then there was a focused distraction. What distracted the men as they were at the foot of the cross? I'll read my original text again. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. So we know there were four men there. With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless. It was woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And so this is what the soldiers did. So at this point, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, they are trying now to compete, if you will, for different parts of Jesus' clothing. It'd be uh, the, the turban or the, the, the headgear that he'd be wearing, the outer cloak, his belt, and his sandals. If you think Jesus just walked around barefoot with a white robe and said, bless you, that's not what he wore. He, he had the same kind of clothes that everybody else had, except this seamless garment that was worn underneath his outer cloak. 
There's something special about that because it was totally seamless. It would have been difficult for them to rip it apart. And so what did they do? They decided to gamble for it. See, oftentimes they would take these clothing, uh, these pieces of clothing, and if they were sentimental to the family of the person on the cross, they might sell them back to the, the family of the victim of the crucifixion. Think of a really, really dark eBay, if you will. And they would say, okay, I've got his shoes. You want them back? It's going to cost you this much. But for this, this, this item of clothing, this seamless robe was one that they wanted to compete for. The picture that you see on the screen is uh, a seamless garment that some claim is the actual robe that Jesus wore. I don't know if that's accurate or not. It's found in St. Peter's Cathedral somewhere in, in Germany. But it's an accurate picture of what Jesus' inner garment might have looked like. It would have gone from Jesus' shoulders down to his knees. And, and get this, instead of focusing on the one who was hanging on the cross, their focus was the seamless garment. Instead of, instead of focusing on Jesus, they focused instead on the seamless garment. Can I ask you a question? What is your seamless garment? What is it that distracts you from the cross of Jesus? What is it that keeps your focus not on Christ, not on your relationship with Christ, not on the work that Jesus Christ did for you? What causes you to take your focus off of him and direct it elsewhere. For these four soldiers, it was a seamless garment, but I would say that for the 21st century person, maybe even the 21st century Christian today, it very well could be your business. You could be more focused on your work. You could be more focused on having a hobby that you love. Or maybe on your house. And let me pause here and say, I'm not saying that it's bad to have a house. Okay, I'm not saying it's bad for you to work. I'm not saying it's bad for you to have a hobby. But if those things are distracting you from the cross of Jesus, from your relationship with God, on fully recognizing just how great Jesus is and the work that he did for you, then that has become a seamless garment that's distracting you from Christ. It could be, uh, it could be your education. Maybe it's a relationship or a friendship that you have that is taking your eyes off of the cross and your focus is on it. Maybe it's an unconfessed sin. Maybe it's some very poor choices that you have made that are now shifting your focus from Jesus to whatever that is. I'm convinced that we have uh, made the mistake sometimes of thinking 
that we have to totally obliterate everything that we have put in Jesus' place. And I don't think that's the case. Now, if it's a sin issue, absolutely. If we're not ruthless with sin, then sin will be ruthless with us. Can you say amen to that? But if it's, if it's something that on the surface is very innocent, some of us may just need to shift some things and put Jesus in his rightful place. Because when we place a higher importance on anything than our relationship with God, that has become a seamless garment. Well, pastor, I don't have the time for this. You're just, you just want me to be some super Christian. That's not what I'm saying. Although, we'll take you if you're a super Christian. That'd be awesome. But what I'm saying is this. What, what I'm saying is this, that God will give you the strength to be able to do this. And what I've found in my life, that when I've put him first, when I've put Jesus where he needs to be in my life, then all this other stuff that I am so obsessed with, all this other stuff that I'm so encumbered with, all of it falls right into the right place in my life that it needs to be. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things, all these things that we worry about, all these things we get caught up on, They'll be added to you. Jesus says, seek me first. I'll take care of the other stuff. The author of Hebrews said this in a very famous verse in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter or the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is your seamless garment today? Is there, is, is there something that's taking your life, your energy, everything away from what should be devoted to Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you this last part of this story, which wasn't found in our original text. Remember when I told you, I think it was last week, that what's so beautiful is when you see Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they all write their perspectives on all these stories. Well, we get another perspective of this story from Mark, and that is this. There was a final reaction. There was a final reaction in the story. Mark says this. Check this out. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, everyone say centurion, that's a soldier, He stood there in front of Jesus. He saw how he died. He said, surely, this man was the Son of God. Something happened. A centurion, if you know your grammar, a centurion would have been in charge of over 100 soldiers. So this was a man of great authority. So more than likely, he was the one that was the key authority with the ones that were in charge of making Jesus as miserable as possible. 
And the Bible says that as that man saw Jesus die, he then said, this man, he really was the Son of God. Something changed. Something happened. And you see, it's my prayer that for any person here who maybe has had the wrong concept of who Jesus is and was, if there's a person who has been absolutely distracted by the things of this world or the things that occupy our time so much, if there is a person here who maybe has thought about Jesus and this whole church thing and religion as just some routine that you go through, it'd be my prayer that today would be a moment where you would spiritually look to the cross and realize truly, certainly, surely, this man was the Son of God. This man changed everything. My life is not the same. It's not too late to look to the cross. It's not too late to look to the Son of God. I speak to people today who have been around the church for a long time. I speak to people today where maybe you're kind of new to this. The message is the same. Whatever is keeping your focus off of the cross of Jesus Christ, will you turn one more time to the cross? Will you think, maybe it's just a matter of, of genuinely, maybe for the first time in a long time, saying, Lord, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your love. Jonathan, if you could help me out. I want to close this with a few statements. If the cross has become way too familiar to you, today I challenge you to look to it again. If you've been around the church for a long time and it's almost a catchphrase or a cliche, I would pray that the freshness of knowing that the Son of God died for you would just penetrate your heart once again. If you're distracted by other things, if there are other things in your life that are taking your focus off of Jesus Christ, if you're distracted by other things, I would pray that today you would look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You're not too busy to look to Jesus. You're not too far gone to look to Jesus. Look to him today. And if you finally see, no matter who you are, if you finally see what Jesus did for you, give your life to him today. Give your life completely to Jesus today. Four men we're at the foot of the cross, oblivious to the greatest act of love that was happening right above them. May we not be guilty of the same thing. Going through life, going to church, doing our thing, oblivious to the greatest act of love that's ever taken place. Would you bow your heads with me?
the biggest gamble you could take with this dice game is to reject the grace of Jesus Christ. The biggest gamble you can take is to not fully embrace the love and the grace of Jesus Christ for your life. And I promise I will not embarrass one person here today. But maybe as you are here, or maybe even watching online, and you'll say this, Pastor, I'm not in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I need to give my life to the Lord today. Or maybe there was a time that you were serving God, but you're not now, and you know that. And you need to make a new, fresh commitment to Jesus today. If, if either of those situations are you, and again, I promise I won't embarrass you, but so that I can know whom to pray for, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up and put it right back down because I want to pray for you today. Thank you. Is there someone else? Thank you. Pastor, I need a new start with Jesus Christ today. I need him fresh and new as my Lord and as my Savior. Maybe you're here today and you've been around this for quite a while. And maybe you have found yourself maybe taking the cross of Jesus for granted. Could I invite you today, before you leave this place, to maybe spend just a few moments thanking him again for the cross. But please, don't limit it to just a Sunday thing. May you wake up in the morning thanking Jesus for the cross. May you wake up Tuesday thanking Jesus for the cross. As you work on Wednesday and go to school on Thursday, may you thank Jesus for all that he has done for you because, friend, he loves you. I've asked John, uh, Jonathan to lead us in a song to close. Uh, hallelujah for the cross. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give us a chance to respond to Jesus. And your response might be just to sing along and worship Jesus. Or your response might be just to sit in his presence and just thank him with your own words and tell him how much he means to you. Or, or, or maybe in just a few moments as I lead you in prayer, you want to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to give your life completely to him. Today we're going to do that. And, and I will say this, when, when the Lord releases you, you can consider yourself dismissed. But we're just going to make this a place where the presence of God is very real and, and you can worship the Lord and thank him for the cross of Jesus. And... Let the Lord touch you as you do so. Would you do that? So Jesus, in a few moments, some, many of us, we're, we're going to sing a song to you. And we're not just going to sing a song. We're, we're going to worship you and thank you for that cross. And Lord, I pray that maybe for some of us for the first time, these words would not originate from our heads as much as they originate from our hearts. God, for some of us, we need to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. 
come into my heart. I make you my Lord, and I make you my Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you are Lord. Help me every day to live for you. Thank you for the cross. So now, Jesus, receive our praise, receive our prayers. And God, as we go from here, may we do so looking to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.